What's up? It's episode 65, Pain Points of Wealth, and the Fed is finally becoming more hawkish. Their bond buying program, they're going to speed up the process of tapering. Interest rates, probably going to go up a couple times next year. Inflation, still running hot as markets sit here at their all-time record highs. Is the market finished? Is this the end? Well, we're going to break it down for you today in our last episode of the year, and we're going to talk about financial stocking stuffers. What kind of financial products do you want to have in your stocking this year, and which ones do you want to avoid at all costs? we got a great show to end the year. Let's hop to it. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey guys, you know what? If you've been watching and listening to Pain Points of Wealth for the last year, nothing surprised you this week. CPI came in at 6.8%. We've been telling you about that. Inflation has been in plain sight. And then it followed the next day with the producer price index, the PPI, man, was that hot, 9.7%, well above all the estimates. Now, everybody seemed to know this was going to happen unless you were a Federal Reserve chairman. So like Jerome Powell is the last guy on the deal team to know, (laughs) as the old saying goes. Well, here's the most remarkable part about that is, you know, he took the word transitory out of the lexicon of the actual Federal Reserve. And you know what? Now we're at this peak inflation, you know, the most inflation in 38 years. Like these are big numbers. But the irony is inflation is actually probably going to come down from here. Well, here's the funny thing, Chris. You know, Ryan always talks about how Wall Street's enamored with naming everything an animal, you know, a bull or a bear. So now we have like the Federal Reserve chairman. He's talking dovish, but he's acting hawkish. So what is he? I mean, what kind of animal is that? Dockish? A dock? A dock. It looks like a duck. It walks like a duck. It's a dock. So you're telling me he's squawking like a dog? I think so. <laughs> I think that's what we're trying to say. I think this is going to catch on in the financial media. You're going to hear everyone start talking about dawkishness now. You heard it here first. That's right. But look, the interesting part about it is you know, one of the big problems we know is been supply chains have been a mess, right? There hasn't been enough supply with a lot of demand coming in this great reopening, as we call it, as we come out of the pandemic. But a lot of those supply chains are going to get fixed, right? I mean, it's like everything else. Capitalism works that way. Where there's a need, someone's going to try to fill it. So, so if we're short semiconductors, and you're hearing like companies like Intel, one of the biggest chip makers in the world, where they're going to build two chip making plants down in Alabama over the next year. So, you know, eventually a lot of these supply chain issues are going to go away. And that is actually going to bring inflation down. But the bigger problem is, is when we talk about this on this show at nauseum, is we got a big problem in the labor market. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we had 11 million job openings and not enough people to fill it. I mean, every restaurant you go to, every store you go to, you're there shorthanded. They're looking for someone to come in and give a hand and get paid, but they're getting paid too well by the government. I don't blame them. If I'm going to get twice as much income by sitting at home and shooting rubber bands at the screen and, you know, Chris, getting to watch Ryan on CNBC or Fox Business every week, I'm going to do that rather than go to work. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I mean, if the government was paying me to stay home, I think I'd probably stay home. You know, I wouldn't have to get up so early to do this podcast every week. Yeah, but that's not even the real problem because the reality of it is there's more jobs than people can fill them. Even if you get all anyone who's on unemployment, you get them off unemployment, you still have a gap, the greatest gap ever between job openings and the number of people that can actually fill those jobs. I mean, that's the bigger problem here. So it's only like 5 million people on unemployment, but if you have 11 million openings, how does that work? Mathematically, that says to me that labor is going to be a problem for a long, long time. 
Hey, Ryan, that's absolutely right. You know, wages are going up if you want a new job. That's why people are quitting. A lot of people are quitting their job because you're going out there to get a better job at a better price and better income. So wages will have an impact on inflation. But that's all discounted in the market. Remember, the markets are forward looking. And one of the reasons why we're only a one or two percent off all time record highs is because the volatility works both ways. So we're getting a little downside volatility. You just have to make sure that your portfolio is positioned correctly. You know, you just can't own anything here. Well, I mean, I think the other issue here is, Bobby, to your point, I love that Warren Buffett quote, right? In the short term, the market's a voting machine. So it is a little irrational in the short term. You know, to some extent, markets are rational. They do look out into the future. But I think the one thing that you can't discount here, and we've talked about this, and this is why you haven't seen a big dip in the market, is because there's just so much cash out there. The world's awash in cash. And again, if inflation is almost 7%, you're literally losing 7% on your purchasing power sitting in cash. We did the last 12 months. And there's just a huge need to get a return. What's interesting about that right now is most institutions are sitting on way more cash than they do historically. So you have a lot of investors, big money investors that have missed this move. Now they're sweating at the end of the year and the pressure's on, which speaks to there's more money probably has to get into this market because every day the market goes higher, there's a money manager out there that's where they're going to lose their job because their money's not invested. Well, this is what I love about investing, guys. You know, we have a big booming bull market. But there are investors who are losing a lot of money right now. You take, for instance, this time last year, Kathy Woods of the ARK Investment ETF was a rock star. She was going to be the new Warren Buffett. Well, how's her portfolio doing so far this year, Chris? Well, you know, Dad, you commented before this podcast that you shouldn't invest in something when it's already up 100%. And that ARK fund is not doing so hot right now. Yeah, you know, you look at the majority of the stocks in that portfolio are down anywhere from 40 to 80% this year. She's not the new Warren Buffett. Now, on the other hand, Warren Buffett just got a dividend check for $168 million from Coca-Cola for his holdings in Coke. What could be more boring than selling sugar water? But here's a stock that pays him $1.8 million in dividend per day. That works down to $21 a second. I don't know about you. I'd rather be Warren Buffett than Kathy Woods. I don't know. Those autonomous vehicles are really cool. But I think that's a really good point because, I mean, think about these disruptive technologies. It was the hottest trend last year. And literally, it all turned on a dime. Whether it's Zoom, Peloton, anything that benefit from the lockdown, all those stocks are down huge this year because the trend, when it does change, it happens abruptly, unexpectedly. And when things go down, they drop huge. So I think that's the thing you have to worry about right now. You know, we always talk about these disruptive technologies, whether it's, we, you know, we love Bitcoin, we talk about Bitcoin all the time, is it's hot right now. Actually, as we're recording, it's not so hot this week. But man, oh man, all those kind of trends, they can turn quickly and very, very badly. So you really do got to have to diversify your money and make sure that not all your money's in the same place. Hey, on that note, guys, I got a little pop quiz for you. The uh, NASDAQ composite is up about 20% year to date, depending on the day, you know, the little volatility here lately. But if you took the five best companies, the five best performing stocks in the NASDAQ composite, what would the return be year to date? I think it'd be like a negative 25%. Good guess, Chris. Negative 20%. I mean, I don't know about you. Some of these statistics, you know, they amaze me and surprise me. This one just blew my mind. I mean, you go from a 20% return to a negative 20% return. Well, you got to be careful that you have the right types of stocks in your portfolio. Once again, I still think Warren Buffett's the smartest investor in history. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 65, Pain Points of Wealth. Our subscribership continues to go through the roof. Thank you for the support. If you like our content, love it. Give us a like, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, leave us a comment, let us know what you want us to talk about. If you're watching this on YouTube, click the like button, click the subscribe, that little notification key. 
So every single week, you'll be notified of all our new great episodes of Pain Points of Wealth. The more you support us, the more we will put these episodes out. It's been a great year. Thank you. Thanks for the support. Okay, Chris and Bob, it's the tipping point where we pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Bob and Chris, since it's our holiday edition of Pain Points of Wealth, our last episode of the year, I thought we could pretend that you're Santa and basically you're putting these items into people's stockings. So for each of these, tell us if it belongs in the stocking of someone who's been naughty or someone who's been nice. And the first one would be a fiduciary financial advisor. Well, that's going to be for somebody who's been nice because a fiduciary financial advisor is someone that has a legal obligation to do things in your best interest. So for example, when they put investments in your portfolio, it's not necessarily what's appropriate, but also has to be the most cost-efficient, tax-efficient. It has to be the best thing for the client. Chris, I can't imagine anyone waking up on Christmas morning and being able to find you in their stocking would just be like exhilarating for anyone. Ryan, everybody could be so lucky. Hey guys, you know, the best education you can get in this industry is sitting at our desk because as you know, we look at 40 or 50 prospective new clients every month and we review their portfolios and we get a really good idea to see what the financial advisors, right? So-called financial advisors who aren't fiduciaries are putting in these accounts. You know, you see hedge funds, you see mutual funds, you see bond funds, lots of things that aren't working. And if you look at the portfolio, it's almost as if it's the day the earth stood still, the day that investor opened their account. Nothing's changed. Nobody's ever done anything. It's just, you know, buy and hold and forget. Well, if you had Chris Payne in your stocking, that'd all change. You know, you have someone who would look over your portfolio every year. They're compensated on fees as opposed to transactional. We call that the old school versus the new school. So where do I put this in your stocking this year, guys? An annuity. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if I didn't like you, I wouldn't buy you an annuity. I mean, it's just the worst investment ever. I mean, if you look at any investment that comes through an insurance company, and it's like, you know, it doesn't make insurance companies bad. I mean, if you want to own stock in an insurance company, it's much smarter than owning an annuity because insurance companies always win. You don't. They're the most inefficient, cost-ineffective way to invest your money. I'm going to be honest, though, if Chris really got on my nerves one year, I'd buy him an annuity. It'd be a variable annuity, and I'd put about 10 riders on there so his fees were over 5% a year. That would teach him a lesson. Hey, Chris, isn't your brother like the gift that keeps on giving anyway? He's the gift that keeps on getting, I think. <laughs> In all fairness, I mean, in some cases, an annuity can be an appropriate investment, but we find that most of the time, depending on your situation, the fees are too high. If it's income for life, which sounds like an amazing gift from the gods, it's usually not that great because it's just them paying your money back to you slowly over time. You give up your principal. So I think it is buyer beware there. You've got to be really careful. And again, you've got to look at those fees. We've talked about this a lot, but those underlying fees in some of these annuities are exorbitant. Even if they tell you that you're not actually being charged fees, which I know we talked about a little bit on last week's show. So, Ryan, I don't know, but up in the New York offices, you keep smelling salts like Chris and I do in the Bluebell office because whenever we get on the phone with an insurance company and we don't call the salesman, we call the back office with a client to find out what the internal costs are on their annuity, they faint. I mean, they're so shocked that they're paying two, three, four percent a year and didn't know. We have to revive them, you know, so we get them assigned the paperwork to get rid of these bad investments. Chris. What if I put a portfolio of high-yield bonds in your stocking this year? Well, that's tantamount to putting coal in my stocking. You know, another word for a high-yield bond is a junk bond, which is basically a bond that is of the lowest possible credit quality. You know, it pays a great rate of interest, but you may not get your money back. Well, that's the thing. You buy a bond, you invest in a bond because you're making a loan to some institution. And you got to think about it. When you're investing in a bond and the interest rate is extraordinarily high, my rule of thumb, if it's higher than your hat size, you've got a real big problem. But 
Just think about it. You and I can borrow on a mortgage at 2.5% today. Why does a company have to borrow at 6, 7, 8%? That means they can't borrow more cheaply. That tells you there's a risk of you maybe not getting a return on your money. How about not getting the return of your money? Yeah, getting a return on your money is pretty important, especially if you're planning for retirement. And I'll tell you the scary thing now is junk bonds don't even pay that much, right? So you could be lending to an institution that's extremely high risk, but you might only be getting 3 4%, where normally you would get 6 or 7%. But because interest rates are so low, you're lending to the same risky borrower, but they're able to borrow your money at a much lower rate. Talk about like heads you lose, tails you lose. It's like the worst time ever to own junk bonds just because you're not even getting rewarded like a modicum of what you should be getting rewarded on those actual investments. That's part of Bob Payne's rule of lending. Never lend to your brother-in-law, never lend to a junk bond company. I never knew that one. I like that, Bob. Bob, you have another maxim about high yield bonds and guns. I can't remember how it goes though. Well, this is not an original Bobism. This is from somebody who's one of my mentors long past, but he said, never reach for yield. More investors have lost money reaching for yield than at the point of a burglar's gun. And that's really important right now because you might be trying to generate income on your portfolio, which I think is an important component, right? Income is just as important as capital appreciation. But you got to be careful that you're not putting things like junk bonds in your portfolio that are higher risk. You want yield, but you want what we would call safe yield. So be very, very careful when you're building your portfolio. All right, guys, what if I put, Bob, in your stocking, a whole life insurance policy? Hey, right. Now we're back to insurance investments again. Well, this is different though. Whole life policies, insurance policies are different than annuities. They're a necessary evil. If you're a parent like I was, right, raising three children while I was working, I needed to have a way to supplement my income in, in the event that I became disabled or no longer able to work. So a whole life policy is not a bad option if you're not an investor. If you're an investor, better to buy term and invest the rest. Well, that's my biggest qualm with these policies is because when you're younger, maybe in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you're working, you have a mortgage, you have education to pay for you need a lot of insurance. In some cases, you may need several million dollars if, God forbid, you're not on God's green earth. The problem is a whole life policy gives you very little insurance, but it gives you this cash value that builds over time. And that cash value is not a large amount until later in life. So when you need the insurance, it doesn't cover you. And then later in life, ideally, when you don't need the insurance, because you've done a good job saving and you have a portfolio and you're past those big expenses of college and mortgage, all of a sudden you have this big insurance policy that doesn't make a lot of sense. So, and the premiums are exorbitant. So be very, very careful of those whole life policies. Typically, it works in reverse of what you actually need. Bad deal. Well, you know, guys, some of the nicest homes and yachts I've ever seen in my life are owned by hedge fund managers and life insurance salesmen. The insurance industry is going to come after us after this podcast. I'm afraid. I have one question, guys. Where are the policyholders' yachts? <laughs> exactly. That's what I think about. All right, Chris, if I was putting an S&P 500 index into your stocking this year, would you be happy? Would it mean you were nice this year? I think it would mean that I was being nice this year, right? As long as it goes in line with the rest of my diversified portfolio. Well, the S&P 500, as we know, is not real diversification. Well, yeah, sure it is. You know, it's a capitalization-weighted index. So, you know, if you ever watch Jim Cramer on CNBC and he does his, are you diversified segment? If you own five stocks, he thinks you're truly diversified. Now, I don't know why anyone would take that advice because there's nothing more risky than having one company that can wipe out 20% of your portfolio in one year. Well, that's the problem with the S&P 500 right now, right? Seven companies make up 25% of the index. So you're not getting true diversification because I hear this all the time. People are like, oh, well, well, I don't need a financial advisor. I can just buy the S&P 500 and sit on it for 20, 30 years. Number one, it's actually a lot riskier than you think because you're not getting true exposure to 500 stocks because that capitalization waiting. Number two, you can go full decades where the S&P 500 does nothing. If you bought the S&P 500 in the year 2000, by the year 2010, 
you'd made $0. Can you imagine 10 years making no money? Well, that's the risk you have if you just own the quote unquote S&P 500. Did you say zero money, Rye? That's sacrilege in the house of pain. Don't ever say that again. Strike me down if I do. Chris, what about if I put a long-term care insurance policy in your stocking this year? Right. I would say it was a, that would be a good thing. I would be a good kid this year to get a long-term care policy in my stocking. Because you know one of the things that I found, especially as we age, is that the cost of medical becomes astronomically high and it can potentially drain down a very, very large portfolio in a short period of time if you're not properly covered. Well, here's the problem, guys. You know, The older you get, the less insurable you are. And these long-term care policies can, in most cases, arbitrarily increase the premium. I spoke to one of my favorite clients the other day. She's 92 years old. She just got a bill for her long-term care policy that went from $1,400 a year to $3,600 a year in one year. There was no physical, no questions, nothing other than she just turned a year older. These insurance companies aren't out and looking in your best interest. They're looking out in their shareholders' best interest. Well, I think the bottom line is that with insurance, whole life policy, you need to somehow factor in how you're going to take care of any sort of long-term care needs. So you know, a policy can work perfectly, but you got to run the math on it. And to your point, Bob, they can double the premium, but if you got a policy from like 10 years ago, it probably, even if they doubled your premium, is still a good deal. So it's just somewhere where you have to run the numbers on it because in that case, insurance could actually work out well. But the one thing I would say that most of you aren't accounting for is what are those medical costs going to be? What are those long-term care needs going to be when you're retired? It's going to be a big chunk that could come out of your portfolio. So either make the insurance company take that risk or make sure your portfolio can handle that risk. But it's an analysis that everyone needs to do. That's the whole key of financial planning, Rye. You have to do an annual review just like you get an annual physical. Maybe it's time for you to start yours right now. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at literally any stage of your journey. But if you saved over $750,000 and you want a more hands-on approach and a second opinion on what you're doing with your finances... You can literally sign up right now to see if you qualify for our total financial master plan. We literally, every week, we do 10 reviews like this where we'll go through everything for you. We'll go through every investment that you own. We'll get the fees you're paying, taxes. We'll put together a complete income and tax savings game plan. We'll show you how to optimize on taxes on your portfolio. We'll look at what your expenses are, what your savings plan is, how to live off your portfolio in retirement. It's a full holistic review. We do 10 a week if you qualify. Simply go to www paincm.com slash financial plan. That's www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, gentlemen, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, about 26% of US investors have crypto holdings based on a survey of about 1,000 investors from Grayscale Investments. You know, Rob, I was having flashbacks to the year 2000 when probably about the same amount of investors were buying IPOs in dot-com stocks, anything with a dot-com, whether it had earnings or anything else or any potential earnings. Now, some of those companies worked out. 20 years later, they turned out to be big winners where majority of them disappeared. So I guess my question is, why do we have so many cryptocurrencies? Why do we have Dogecoin and Bobcoin and Shino Inu and crypto and Bitcoin? I mean, why so many? And how many of those are actually going to survive, if any at all? Well, first off, Bob, you're so passe. Come on. Real dollars that you can buy things with? That just sounds ridiculous to me. But this is actually funny. I was at a holiday party last night. And you know, Dad, I remember during the dot-com bubble, you would talk about how lawyers 
and accountants were quitting their job to become day traders. And I remember I started at a dot-com right out of college and all these investment bankers had quit their job at their financial firms to join dot-coms. Well, last night, this guy was telling me about how a lot of his friends that are you know, professionals that are working for big companies have left to work for some of these startup crypto operations. And it's like, man, oh man, it's like literally history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. You just see a lot of the same craziness going on right now. All right, Chris. So for this year, 48 top executives have collected more than 200 million each from stock sales, nearly four times the average number of insiders from 2016 through 2020. Across the S&P 500, insiders have sold a record 63.5 billion in shares through November, a 50% increase from all of 2020. The technology sector, no surprises, led with 41 billion in sales across the entire market. Well, I don't know about you, Rai, but if the CEOs and executives of these companies are taking their profits, I think that might not be a bad sign or a bad time to start taking some profits of your own. Yeah, you always have to look. I mean, if the insiders are selling and they probably have the most clarity to what their pipeline looks like, and if it looks like it's weakening down the line and they're selling, that's probably a good sign that you need to be rediversifying your portfolio as well. All right, Bob, 45 years ago this month, the Eagles released their iconic album, Hotel California on the way to selling 32 million copies worldwide, making it the seventh biggest selling album of all time, featuring hits like New Kid in Town, Hotel California, Life in the Fast Lane. Hey, Rye, 45 years ago, Chris, you might remember this, a new, young, minted financial advisor joined a firm called Merrill Lynch. And isn't it kind of ironic the same time the Eagles come out with a song called A New Kid in Town? You know, perhaps that was written about me, I'm not sure, but the rest is history. Rumor has it, Chris, Bob would just crank that at his desk while he was doing cold calls into the night. (laughs) As humble as ever. I've always felt the Eagles were overrated personally, but that's just my own personal opinion. Yo! (laughs) Tough crowd. Love the Eagles. All right, Chris. Founded in 1976, it's a magical year here, the year Bob started in the bullpen at Merrill Lynch. It took Apple 44 years from that year to reach 1 trillion level for the first time in 2018. Two years later, in August 2020, the stock or the company hit $2 trillion. And now just 15 months later, the stock is zeroing in on $3 trillion. Apple has rallied nearly 500% over the past five years, about quintuple the return on the S&P 500, a period when the iPhone only grew about 40% in sales. Well, this is a great example of the power of compounding. You know, you got to have your money in the market so that it grows on itself. I mean, look at Warren Buffett. He made most of his net worth after the age of 56. You know, guys, Apple's had a heck of a ride. You know, it's like when I met Steve Jobs, when he had been fired by Apple, the stock was six bucks a share. Now look at it. But when you think about it, you got a company that's gone up $2 trillion in two years, and there's 10,000 publicly traded companies out there. Perhaps it's time to take a ride on another company. Diversification, diversification, diversification. What a great message to end the year. Well, thank everyone. We appreciate your support. If you like our content, love it. Please subscribe, subscribe to our YouTube channel, click the like button, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, click that notification bell on YouTube so you can be updated every week of our new content. This is our last podcast of the year. Happy holidays from our family to yours. We're going to come in hot again next year with guests. Got a lot of great stuff going on in 2022, but happy holidays. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. 
You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Oh,